Hello and welcome to episode 355 of the Fabulous Podcast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion Seattle Seahawks. It's the Boz episode. That's where you went with this? It's the Steve Shuffler episode. Um, BBK also. I was going to say the Steve Shuffler episode was kind of appropriate for our beer. Is it? But before I, I get I don't it, know why. Steve Shuffler was left-handed. Oh, okay. I thought yeah. you were going to say because he was Irish. <laughs> I, I have no idea. I highly doubt he is. Steve Shuffler's background. Uh, before we get there, though, I did want to say I had the seasonals from our friends at Pagliacci Pizza, okay. our sponsors, earlier this evening. These are two of my favorite seasonals. You've got the salami picante with the uh, salumi salami and then uh, sweet, sweet uh, peppers on there. Is quite delicious, and then also the tricolore, which pays homage to the Italian flag. Hell yeah! You've got on there two of my favorite things: pesto yep. and burrata on top of the oh, red sauce. That obviously. pizza you had looked pretty freaking amazing. It, it photographed extremely well to have the two of them in particular like split in half. So be I sure was, to check those out. I was out. quite mad at you. <laughs> I'm sure you. When I saw it, it's hilarious. Steve Scheffler on his Wikipedia page. Literally, the only information about him is he is left-handed. <laughs> Steve Robert Scheffler, born September 3rd, 1967, is an American former professional basketball player who played in the NBA. He is left-handed. But they don't even have a citation on there. Yeah, no. Uh, maybe they'll cite this podcast. As someone should edit in this podcast as the citation. I just I love that. That is literally the most notable thing about Steve Scheffler is his handiness. I, if I, I'm busy tomorrow, but at some point I gotta get to updating the Steve Scheffler Wikipedia page because there's a lot of information. That Is there not a, there. a Wikipedia page for left-handed for handedness that they could have tagged there? <laughs> I think it's a category down at the bottom, isn't it? Uh, his appearance in the Not in Our House music video needs to be on there. Uh-huh. The one time he made a three-pointer, a really memorable evening. How's the Peja Drobniak Wikipedia page? Oh, that's a great question. No. Vladimir Stepania. That should be your thing. It's (laughs) taking up the mantle of fringe 90s or 2000s Sonics players. I feel like I already have enough hobbies. I don't think I need that. You're like the Gerald Patio Wikipedia page needs to be built up. Look, he had a fine career at UNLV. Gerald Patio was like one of my favorite Sonics back in the day. That's We're going too deep in these cuts, though. Maybe that'll be on on his Wikipedia page. (laughs) He was one of Kevin Belton's favorite. ESPN's Kevin Belton's. <laughs> How are uh, his draft projections? I don't have a lot of robust data. Team stats from the early 1990s. Do you know what team selected? Uh, Steve Shuffler? Yeah. Charlotte Hornets? All right, you got it. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Pretty hard to beat at Sonics, early 90s Sonics trivia. <laughs> uh, Anyways, this beer we are drinking this week comes from our friends at Left Hand Brewing Company. And are they named after Steve Scheffler? <laughs> it's not on the Wikipedia, so I don't know. It's literally just a Left Hand Brewing Company, not Left Handed Brewing Company. <laughs> Did I say Left Handed? No, I'm just saying oh, like, okay. it doesn't necessarily imply handedness. I, th- I think it pretty clearly does. All right, fair enough. <laughs> what a- I mean, their mainstream is uh, their their motto does not uh, their about us does not cite anything about being left-handed specifically, but you know I just kind of assumed. Okay. So uh, from our, in Longmont, Colorado. Okay. So uh, 
I, I had no idea where this brewery was located before I picked this up. Uh, they have, we have this week, the Nitro Dry Irish Stout. So that'll be interesting to try. Is that the Nitro weird? It's a Guinness. We're drinking a fancy Guinness. You understand that? I, I mean, yes, I understand that. <laughs> okay. Nitro, it's like nitro, low ABV. Did you hear that? <laughs> nitro is their thing outside of just the Irish stout. So anyway, we're drinking a fancy Guinness. <laughs> Indie Guinness? <laughs> when they told us American Nitro beer couldn't be bottled, we invented it, apparently. Mm. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that one, left-handed brewing company. Sorry. Left-hand. Left-hand brewing company. <laughs> well, All right, our first they invented left-handedness also. <laughs> when they told us we couldn't be left-handed, we invented it. <laughs> They're from Colorado. This is all okay. We take things from Colorado all the time. I suppose that's true. Draft picks. Players. Oh, yeah. Uh, our first toast is to Paltoncast Live. Oh, the first toast is to us. <laughs> is it? I think the first toast is to you, the listener, who has stepped up in a big way to sell out Taltoncast Live more than a month out. This is wild. This is our first ever official sellout, I think, of Peltoncast Live. Uh, and I don't even have to say, look, you don't know what to expect from Peltoncast Live. <laughs> April 21st at Belltown Yacht Club. Anything could happen. We've already sold the tickets. It doesn't matter now. <laughs> I, I'd say... There won't be any food. Come full. <laughs> no. <laughs> some of the people we are the slacking off this this round look it's sold out it doesn't matter we don't need to sell the tickets anymore i see what you're saying uh-huh. yeah we're gonna save this all for our next live pod in september <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we told danny to stay stay in bellingham we don't need you anymore <laughs> so it will not feature nfl draft guru danny kelly of the ringer <laughs> we're gonna have at least two members of talk and taco time maybe <laughs> that's it uh, a lot of Kraken talk, a thorough <laughs> breakdown of the Kraken, all sounders. Uh, be... It's going to be primarily the rundown. <laughs> just the rundown. Just me reading stats. You dumb men's baseball. <laughs> Pelton cast, oops, all rundown. That's <laughs> <laughs> the live show. <laughs> the part where I'm just going to leave the stage. <laughs> I'll, I'll come back and... and Pop in a, an occasional, hmm, okay. You're, you're going to go get a beer just like yeah. you do during the Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Life. definitely. I'm going to go to the bathroom. That's going to be the whole podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Sold out. <laughs> Nothing you can do about it. Too late now. No <laughs> refunds. Oh, boy. No backseas on Peltoncast Live. Anyway. I have looked up that, by the way, the uh, Family First Foundation Center still is in need of more funding. So I think that is going to remain the uh the the source of our the, the proceeds from this okay that sounds good to me the recipient let's go with uh not the source i had an idea for another one that i i i had a flight of fancy that we might need a liquor license from a non-profit so i had an idea for something but i don't think we need one <laughs> okay because we're just phoning it in now <laughs> <laughs> we don't need any partnerships with breweries there won't be donuts there won't be pizza there won't be tacos there'll be nothing anyway uh, most importantly, Pelton Cast Live, April 21st, Peltown Yacht Club. You know what to expect from Pelton Cast Live. And the thing is, it is sold out. But if you were wanting to get a ticket, let us know. Contact us. 
However, Instagram, email, hate email about donuts at the bottom <laughs> if you want to say, and I was thinking about coming to Pelton Cast Live to express some of these opinions in person. I know some of you bought those tickets just to do so. Let us know. There'll be a robust guest list for this one. We don't want to turn away too many people for Pelton Cast Live if we don't have to. So just contact us. Uh, we will see what we can do. I know a guy <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. All right, next up. It is that time of year for the Pelton Cast college tournament uh, pools. Uh, both the men's and women's sides are open. We've gotten some entrance already. Uh, I think we're nearing the 10 plus pool size there on ESPN. I haven't even, I literally have not looked at either bracket. I have not even taken a gander at the, I couldn't tell you anything about them. I really have not looked at the men's bracket at all. I looked at the women's bracket a little bit because we're going to discuss it on this podcast. Also, I have, I have to submit my final four picks for that one by tomorrow. Uh, the other one I'm probably not going to think about until Wednesday. You have to submit final four picks. They ask you, an NBA person, about college? Well, because I'm going to cover the women's tournament. Oh, interesting. Because it's in Seattle. Super regionals. Okay. Yeah. Super regionals. Yeah. They're not uh, technically called that. That's, I better, that's I better fill term. that out tomorrow, though. Cause, but like by the time I get to Texas, I ain't doing shit. Right. So there's no way I'm sitting and filling out an NCAA tournament bracket. Uh, so I better do that one tomorrow. Both of them tomorrow. I uh, also wanted to point out... Let, let's also say that the winner of this uh, of the Pelton Cast men's and women's NCAA tournament bracket will receive an item of the new Pelton Cast merch that we will have at sold out Pelton Cast Live April 21st at Belltown Yacht Club. We'll, we'll give you, a, a, whoever wins, a free version one. Uh, wanted to also give a plug to the the listener fabulous Pelton, fabulous Pelton quotes put together fantasy baseball this year and uh, uh, so be sure to check that out we'll retweet that again I'll put that in the post note if you want to join and participate in that I will definitely not be participating in fantasy baseball I won't either but we are fully a baseball podcast now at some point we will be we are a baseball podcast locally and internationally. Oh, I guess that's true. That leads directly into our next toast, which is a congrats to Matt Festa in Italy, who advanced to the quarterfinals of the World Baseball Classic with Festa getting the win against Cuba in relief. I sat this weekend and I watched so much fucking baseball, the World Baseball Classic. Did I'm you? watching. Oh, I watched tons of it. Wow. This is I've I've been baseball pilled, and oh, you know no. what else I've been? Italy pilled, baby. <laughs> Bring on Japan in Tokyo. You think we're scared of Shohei? We've got Vinny Pasquantino, baby. We've got Sam or Chris Gavilio. I don't remember what Sam. his first name is. Sam Gavilio. We've got Mike motherfucking Piazza. Yeah, Matt you Harvey. think we're scared of anybody? And you know what else we've got? Mustaches. <laughs> espresso machine? An espresso machine. In the dugout? This is stuff, I feel like they're really playing into the Italian stereotypes. <laughs> and I am here for it. <laughs> I'm sure most of the players are like, I don't even know how to operate this. I don't drink espresso. Look, none of them are Italian. I think there's one Italian player on the entire team. None of them are from the country of Italy. Many of them are Italian-American. They're as Italian as we are. And let me tell you, when I try to grow a mustache, it is not a pretty sight. I don't know if that's the Italian fault. <laughs> no, it's this red beard. This <laughs> godforsaken red beard. I think that's Mustache's fault. That's Mustache's in general's fault? Yeah. Yeah, there were some gnarly ones on the team. But you know what? I tried to grow one. I didn't try to grow one. I shaved one one time from a beard. I really, I really, after watching the Italians play on Friday night, thought long and hard about shaving my beard into a mustache. And thankfully for everybody, I didn't do that. But 
the Italian national team in the World Baseball Classic with a dominating victory against the Netherlands, a good Netherlands team, thanks to imperialism. Uh, <laughs> a good Netherlands team. Look, nobody thought about this. Thanks, like, imperialism. <laughs> centuries ago. Eventually, we're going to have a pretty solid World Baseball Classic team that's not going to make it out of pool play because they're going down to Italy. No imperialism necessary. Thank you. I've always said Italy is a baseball country. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> uh, congrats also to Mariners prospect Harry Ford, who became the youngest player to homer in the World Baseball Classic Sunday for Great Britain. Who They're playing the stereotypes. Did you see their jerseys? Oh, they're terrible. <laughs> like the, the plainest looking jerseys. <laughs> yeah. It's English food on a jersey. He was knighted, though. They were playing in the stereotypes after, after he hit that home run. He got the what? What are the cloak or whatever? I didn't see and a this. crown, and then he was knighted. Wow. Okay, that's so they're great. they're playing it up. They're playing it up big. And then Harry Ford came back on Monday and hit a second there home run go. in three games. <clears throat> this is pretty exciting stuff. Oh yeah, no, it's been it's been an incredible spring training slash World Baseball Classic. The only question I have is, I feel like the I would cheer for the U.S. team, but. I feel like they maybe forgot to put Kellenic on the roster. <laughs> yeah, apparently they did. <laughs> they were like Mike Trout or Kellenic. I saw them lose in their second game, and I was like, I mean, I think we all know why. Yeah. <laughs> there was a glaring omission, 11-5. to five. There would have been at least four more homers in that lineup if Kellenic was in there. Wow. Wow. You're just it's warming up for Mariners Hot Takes when that season begins. All right, next up, congrats to UW's Luke Hauser who won the NCAA title in the men's mile in the NCAA Indoor Track and Field Championship Saturday in Albuquerque. Joe Waxham, who, or Waskum, who led the record-setting mile where they had eight under four minutes earlier this season, finished fourth with Brian Fay in eighth. Is a team the Huskies finished fourth overall, winning their first trophy in either indoor or outdoor men's track and field since 1930. Wow. So, been over nine decades Eat since they pulled that up. Oregon. UW is a fast school now. Uh, UW also, to some degree, a baseball school. Congrats to UW Baseball, which ran its winning streak to 11 games with Saturday's walk-off win over Utah on a home run by freshman Luke DiCarlo, the team's number nine Get him hitter. him on the Italian national team also. <laughs> I know. <laughs> We're just going to assume him. Alas, that's Luke true. DiCarlo? I think we could do more than assume. It, it's very likely. The streak came to an end on Sunday. I'm furious. I watched this game. I literally, again, I told you I was baseball-pilled. I spent this weekend watching was, children's baseball. It was an ins- the weekend of the college conference tournaments in men's basketball. Literally not a second. I did not watch a second. I saw the, because I it was on Fox Sports, I saw the post-game show of Don McLean and people talking to various Pac-12, like Arizona and UCLA players, because it was still on after I watched baseball. <laughs> I watched the WBC I watched in-person children's baseball. Did you watch Mariners spring training? I did not. I For some reason, I can't watch spring tra- I can, like, can't bring myself to watch spring training because it's one of those things where I'm like, it's like when a band releases singles before the album and I'm like, you got to give me the real thing, dog. I need it all. Huh. Like, I'm not trying to get, I I need real baseball. It's same as spring training football like or, or preseason football. Like, I can't, I'll watch the Seahawks in preseason, but it kind of hurts. All right. Give me the real thing. But that's that's why the World Baseball Classic is great, because they're playing real competitive baseball, and it matters so much. Everybody remembers when Team won the last World Baseball Classic. I think it was the U.S. Luca told me that Adam Jones was prominently featured. 
But Japan won at least one of the World Baseball Classics, right? With sure. Ichiro, maybe? Maybe. We need to look this up. <laughs> we are nothing if not under-informed. Oops, all singles. Uh, <laughs> anyway, the, <laughs> this UW game, they were up 3-2 to two in the top of the ninth. There was a very questionable call of a hit batter where the ball pretty clearly hit off the nub of the bat. I don't think there's a review process in college baseball. I'm going to go ahead and assume there is not. And so they, they gave Utah the run, and then UW was down to their final out, their number nine hitter, true freshman Luke DiCarlo, and then he comes up with a walk-off jack. It was a great moment. Japan did win the 2006 and 2009. In 2013, the Dominican Republic, led by MVP Robinson Cano, there we and go. then 2017 was, in fact, the U.S. With Marcus Struman is MVP. So he apparently is not playing for the U.S. this time. He's playing for a different team. I'm pretty sure he is playing. Marcus Stroman is? For an in, in ancestral home this time around. Puerto Rico? That sounds right. Yep. Yeah, who will represent Puerto Rico at the 2023 World Baseball Classic. Yeah. All right, with that. I think it's time to get on our search trip for Seattle's Best Donuts. I don't know why we're pausing here. There's not, there's not music <laughs> or anything. We're going to the pre-recorded donut content. <laughs> oh, God. Randy. You Randy's, know Randy's description of Pelton Cast Live is what pushed the tickets over the top. That is true. Those last 10 That's tickets, Randy's description of it, it was just like, I wanted to go to Pelton Cast Live all of a sudden. <laughs> you wanted to sit in the crowd for yeah. Pelton Cast yeah. Live. The well, only- you will once I go through the rundown. <laughs> the only thing I regret about sold out Pelton Cast Live April 21st at Belltown Yacht Club is that I can't experience being in the crowd watching sold out Pelton Cast Live April 21st at Belltown Yacht Club. At Red Rocks? <laughs> so this week, our search for Seattle's Best Donuts took us to a pair of locations, Raised Donuts and Cakes and Half and Half. Let's start with Raised Donuts and Cakes, which was the first one we went to chronologically going to both of these together. Uh, Me, Kim, opened Raised Donuts and Cakes in 2018 after spending a decade at Macrina Bakery, uh, making exclusively, yes, as the name indicates, Raised Donuts. There we go. And including some mochi donuts, which we did not try in this particular stop. Uh, but we did have a chocolate bar, a, a Boston cream, and then you had a third donut, right? Well, I got an apple fritter from oh, Mrs. Okay. Fantasy Genius, so I didn't, I didn't eat that gotcha. one. Gotcha. It was interesting. Of these donuts, the price point is quite a bit cheaper, I would say. The donuts are about $2 per donut, which all of a sudden the standard that we're looking at for some of the <laughs> that made you scoff. <laughs> no, just $2 <laughs> a donut. That's the cheapest donut I've ever heard of. <laughs> drink him, drink down the rug. <laughs> Rug Tim. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> there was nothing about what the, you were saying. The times they were changing. Unrelated. $2 a donut made you spit out your drink. <laughs> I mean, like, how much were the donuts? $2. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't $5? Oh, boy. They weren't $60 <laughs> for a dozen? Anyway, it is kind of, it's like notable. It was in Capitol, or like the Capitol Hill Central District area. The creep. Yes. Uh... Of the part of the, what would probably technically be called Central District, but also is definitely gentrified into being Capitol Hill. Right. Uh, and down the street from Chuck's Hop Shop there and Taco's Chukies. They're, they're a little bit smaller, the raised donuts. But in general, like, honestly, the thing that struck me the most walking in was the cakes. 
I was like, oh, damn, it's six bucks for a slice of this cake. It looks fucking great. I didn't really have it. You, you got there first. You had more time to kind of scope things out. It was like, I don't know. You were already ordering by the time I got there. So I needed to like immediately uh, get the donuts, basically. I, I just, looking at all the items, I, there was a lot of interesting stuff going on. They all kind of have the same. I mean, it's a raised donuts, right? Like they all kind of have this similar vibe and feel. Well, we didn't. What we didn't get into is any of their seasonals that they have on a monthly basis. There were a couple of pretty good. interesting looking seasonals. There's a pineapple one that looked quite good. I think the mochi donuts looked pretty good. Um, the the bars, it, and that was mostly what I was judging it by was the bar. Also, apparently these raspberry holes are kind of their specialty. I don't. I don't know if I saw those. The ras- those look good too. Yeah. Uh, I thought the bars in general were like pretty perfectly puffed up, right? The raised part of it was good. The crunch on the outside was good. I think it, again, I thought we, they were very soft, like almost pillowy. They, no, they were they were pillowy. If if we are judging this again, we are judging things pretty harshly here because we're we're at like some pretty phenomenal donuts. Every single one of these. If you live near a raised donut company. It would raise donuts and cakes. It, it would be worth, I would be there once every weekend. But the slight gooiness that you get inside of a top pot donut when you bite down and there's just that extra little bit where you're like, oh, I, I think that is the only, it was almost too soft. I said, I, no, I had took a different position here, but I said, if you want to quibble, maybe a touch too soft, but I, I like this style. And I thought there was something about the quality of it. They were decidedly ungreasy. Not very uh, greasy at all. Yes. The cream filling in the Boston cream was top notch. To me, this is a legitimate contender for Seattle's best donut. And wow. I think belongs in the bracket. Okay. I'm, I'm very happy to have them in the bracket because oh. it was close. Uh, the, the chocolate, I was thinking about it in terms of like a top pot maple bar because it's what we most recently had, and I think it was just like I think I prefer that the the chocolate frosting or whatever on a maple bar just on the chalk on the not a maple bar on a chocolate bar from top pot. I was like I think I like it a little bit better. See, I don't. I would never order the chocolate bar if if it were left up to me because I would get we got the Boston cream had chocolate. I would have ordered yeah. maple. So I've never had like a chocolate bar from Top Pot as a comparison. What did you think about Half and Half then? So Half and Half was the other one we went to. Uh, This one was started in 2019 by Top Pot co-founder Michael Klebeck, who partnered with Baker Christine Cannon for a very different donut concept. They're pretty pretty different donuts. Some of their specialties include a lot of different varieties of old-fashioned donuts. Uh, They have cronuts there. We didn't try those. And... Uh, filled donuts, including a Bananas Foster filled donut. So we went with the miniature Bombas that they have instead of the full, of the bananas Foster. full Bismarck yeah. uh, Bananas Foster so we could each, instead of having to split it in half, uh, and then also went with a maple bar there. Is there anything else? Is that it? We had an old-fashioned. Oh, yeah. Like, old-fashioned. A, like, a, like cinnamon sugar old-fashioned. Yeah. So... I would say that I really enjoyed the Bananas Foster filled donut. I thought that was outstanding. And then I thought the Old Fashioned was pretty good, mm-hmm. like very, very solid for an Old Fashioned, which is not my favorite number one style of donut. I, I thought the Maple Bar was not on par with Seattle's Best Donuts. I probably agree with that. See, I, I, it's interesting, like, when you're judging these donut to donut, right? I left this, think, I left, we went to these places back to back, right? Right. I left this experience saying to myself, half and half are better donuts. Interesting. In general. And I think it might even be because of the old-fashioned. 
I think if you did it like chocolate, bar, I don't know, that maple bar was pretty good. I did ask for the maple bar with bacon, and I think the bacon would have really helped it. The bacon that was I on there was looked really dry. Good. You thought it was dry. I thought it, I preferred the QFC Top Pot maple bar. Over that maple bar? Yes. I don't know if that's necessary. Top Pot makes some of the best maple bars in Seattle. Like, indisputably. Call, saying that the even the Safeway ones, or the QFC ones, are still really good. I don't know. To I would me, say, I felt like, I, would say I think we should bars. slot both of these in the okay. bracket for now. Yeah. All right. Well, it's giving you the large bracket, I'm concerned. That's, what are we, that's we're trying to concern. get to eight. What are we at right now? Well, uh, so we have ninth and Hennepin. Okay, in. We have Top Pot. We Pro- have probably in, because Do- they need to be in. Dojo. In. King. In. Raised Donuts. That's five. Half and half is six. That only allows for two more. <laughs> we have a lot of good donuts coming. <laughs> okay, we'll see. These two, these two, to me, might get bumped out. I think these are the bottom of that list. On, honestly, if you told me any one of the ones that you named. I have raised on it second of the ones we've visited so far. After? Ninth and Hennepin. Wow. But I'm willing to revisit Dojoy. I still have Dojoy at the top. So. And Top Pot has to be in. I agree. So plenty more to decide. Uh, I, I liked the style of donuts at half and half a little bit better. And it, it almost was like all of the donuts at Ray's Donut Company kind of ended up looking the same a little bit. Whereas like the apple fritter, the apple fritter half and half, I just looking at it, I was like, I wish I'd gotten Mrs. Fantasy Genius, the apple fritter at half and half, because it was clearly better. She was a little bit disappointed in the apple fritter. And it was just like the one at Ray's Donuts and Cakes kind of just looked like a Ray's Donut, whereas the other one was an apple fritter. I think that's possibly And I, I kind of thought the same about the matcha donuts, where it's like, it's a bunch of different donuts, but ultimately they're kind of the same thing. Whereas but you if, wouldn't say that the Bananas Foster donut has anything in common with the old-fashioned donut. I would agree. Or like, I, again, I want to try the maple bacon bar. I thought it looked pretty good. I had a pretty good apple fritter the other day. We'll, we'll talk about that a little later. I think the maple bar is pretty good too. None of them, none of them are as good as Top Pot. I think if you keep saying this, you're gonna you're gonna push me to say some some unkind things about wow maple bar about which maple bar the half and half one yes okay all right there's nothing unkind to say about either of these locations they're both great we also stopped at Dojoy in between to get my children <laughs> donuts we definitely went donut 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 so in, much in the donut corridor of Seattle uh, I I did not we didn't you didn't have any donuts from Dojoy right no this I time. Didn't. yeah. All right, well, we're running down. We, we're coming towards the end of what, our search. What do we have left? Well, uh, we have a lot. That, there's going to be a lot on our list that we're just not, frankly, going to get to. I mean, Flower Box is a We're must. definitely doing Flower Box. I want to try Daily Dozen because it's kind of like a, a fixture in Seattle, even if, uh, in the market. Uh, we have Good Day Donuts, which I have been to. You still have to get to. Uh, Donut Lab, Good Lazy Donuts. And uh, Chucks, I think, are the, the... And maybe Despy Delight. We'll see if we have time for them. But they're also kind of like not really a donut place necessarily, so... What do they do? They have donuts, but, you know, it's more of a general bakery. What if I just take, like, a Saturday and go to, like, eight donut places? Can, can you do that? Can I do that? You mean donut-wise? Yeah. Absolutely I can. Okay. Or, or like four. Can I do four in one day and we just knock off a bunch of donuts? I mean, that would, that would be good. We're running out of weekends, though. Because we got to get into this bracket if there's going to be like 12 donuts in it. Eight, eight donuts. 
I, I agree. That should probably be the plan. How many weeks do we need to, if we're going to do eight donuts and have the final at Pelton Cast Live, April 21st, Belltown Yacht Club? That means we have to do the rest of the donuts over the next two weeks. Oh, fuck. Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> I've looked at the calendar. I know how long it's going to take. How many? So we need two weeks? We have two weeks to get to as many donuts as we can get to. But do we, we need two weeks to do the bracket round? We need, well, if it's, uh, you know, if it's an eight and we get down to two at the final, we need to eliminate six donuts. So we do eight to four one week, four to two the next week. I don't know if we're going to do that. We're not going to try all, all eight of them in one oh, week. I guess I see what you're saying. Yeah. Oh, donuts. <laughs> Especially, it would be unfair to ask a third person to do all <laughs> do eight, eight donuts. Eight. <laughs> Man, okay, the pra- we gotta really start eating some donuts. <laughs> I mean, we have. We need to expedite the process. So you being out of town does not help. Sorry, I don't think I'm gonna have any donuts in Texas. We'll see if there if there are Texas donuts that are like readily. It's, breakfast, I have a hard time eating breakfast at all. taco donuts. I'd, I would do it. It's just like you kind of forget to eat at South by Southwest. Uh, I do have... I would, I would never under any circumstances forget to eat. You're just kind of going. And then all of a sudden, eating is like weirdly hard to do. I understand that it takes a lot of planning. I get that part of it. You may not... I, I would not necessarily eat like a high quality meal in a setting like that. We have Franklin Barbecue reserved for Friday. Oh, hello. Yeah. So you, there's a time that you have to pick it up. You have to order four pounds of meat. And there are four pounds of meat ordered right now. How many people? I don't know. It depends. Eight or so. Okay. And there's a bunch, a couple people who are like, yeah, I'm vegan. We're like, well, <laughs> whole pound of brisket to myself. <laughs> like on a Zoom being like, all right, so let's choose our eight pounds of meat or whatever. Are there a lot of vegan options at Franklin? <laughs> We're like pretty standard. Like even the like non, the things that could be vegan still have meat in them. Oh. <laughs> well, at least cheese, like the mac and cheese. <laughs> yeah. I don't think they have mac, mac and cheese. I don't think was an option. They don't have it. Wow, that's interesting. Have you ever done Franklin barbecue? No, I've not, I never done it. either Franklin. Yeah, I've, uh, yeah, I've never done it. Yeah, Friday Franklin barbecue. I'm all about it. I'll post it on the podcast Instagram. Look forward to that. I actually don't. I'll be very jealous. Mm-hmm. It's also going to be sunny for at least a period of time. It's going to be sunny here, just in time for the NCAA tournament for me to sit inside all day on Thursday. Uh. Time for Coach's Corner. Do we have a Coach's Corner? Do, I, do you not I, have a Coach's Corner? I, I have very little say after my, my last game coaching. It wasn't. We, I've got one more week. Oh, you've got one more week. Even yep. after you return? Yeah, Richard, just delete all this. <laughs> what, we'll, do it, we'll do it after. I find it unlikely I'm actually going to delete this. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just, I have to make up a really dramatic Coach's Corner. No, we'll just leave it. You not having a coach's corner. <laughs> Let's get into the rundown. Starting with the Kraken, who were winless in their last three at home. It was a tough 5-4 loss to Ottawa on Thursday, where they were down 3 nothing in the first period, but rallied to take a 4-3 lead in the third, only to immediately surrender a goal. The Senators then scored the winner with a little more than two minutes left. This Was, was this the game that you watched? I watched it, yep. Wow. Yeah, I viewed hockey. <laughs> you have no thoughts? You're just <laughs> confirming that you watched it? Uh-huh. 
<laughs> Dynamite drop in money. Uh, they got a point from another tight game Saturday against Dallas, coming back from one nothing and 2-1 deficits to take a 3-2 lead in the third period, only to give up the tying goal in the last two minutes and then fall in overtime. Playing the Stars again on Monday, they gave up two goals early in a 5-2 loss. Despite those home defeats, Kraken still clean to the third guaranteed playoff spot for the Pacific Division with 81 points, one ahead of the Edmonton Oilers in the same number of games. They'll host the Oilers on Saturday in a key matchup after traveling to San Jose on Thursday, then start a four-game road trip Tuesday at Dallas. So that's a huge matchup. How many games are left in the season? Not that many. Uh, Let me see here. The Kraken are now have played 67 games so 15 left okay so yeah. we're getting down to it Play, playing the team is right behind them it's a huge deal yeah yeah certainly at this point in the season all right seattle sounders they're on saw their unblemished start come to an end saturday in their first road trip with a one nothing loss at cincinnati <laughs> sounders played this one without a bear who's now dealing with a hamstring strain no! just as Raul Ruiz has returned from his own hamstring injury that moved Bear into the starting 11. Hmm. Yeah. What? Hmm. I don't know what that means. It means that Bear is the answer. Uh, oh, I don't, I, I don't know if that's the difference. Real Diaz played off the bench here. The Sounders made it scoreless to his arrival in the game in the 58th minute scoreless, but uh, conceded shortly thereafter. They then saw Cincinnati reduced to 10 men when, after VAR, Nick Higland was given a red card for denying Rui Diaz a goal-scoring opportunity outside the box in the 83rd minute. Later, VAR took it away when an apparent equalizer from Yaimar Gomez Andrade was called back because of a foul on Yaimar in the buildup. Between those two reviews and all the related stuff, a foul in the buildup. Yeah, he fouled somebody. Lead- I have almost never seen that. I mean, it was in the box; like it wasn't like way back. In the okay, play. he like he like threw somebody down, and they decided it was a foul. He wasn't like super violent. Like I, I see what you're. I, I, I have seen that type of play though. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. I thought it was just like they re- rewound it like they went three back, minutes like, back. Minutes. And- no, no, not that far back. No, like seconds back. Uh, because of those stoppages, there were over 13 minutes oh, of stoppage time in this we one. We love to see it. <laughs> but You're going to want to want more soccer against FC Cincinnati. <laughs> 90 minutes is just not enough. You're going to want 103 <laughs> minutes of action against FC Cincinnati. You know, they're talking about going the full 90. Yeah. They're really underselling it. It's a solid 100 plus. Uh, Sounders never really got any other great opportunities. They took 12 shots, but put just one on frame. Expected goals, according to the SPI model, still had this as a totally even matchup so a bit hard done by to lose this one and not get a point on the road uh there seems to be a lot of angst among sounders fans over another road loss after they went 312 and two on the road last year and that to me seems overwrought over uh, about this one especially against a team that didn't make the playoffs last year one without a as well there's angst there's there's always angst the fuck over yourself <laughs> it's one game yeah, that's that's my analysis. And the MLS season is endless. So long. Literally, snow is on the ground when it starts, and when it ends, snow is on the ground again. <laughs> it was Colorado. Was it Colorado that had a snow game the other day? Did they? Or Minnesota? I, I mean, know, the Sounders the played basically when it was snowing. Right. Uh, Sounders back home Saturday for a showdown 
with reigning MLS Cup champions LAFC on Fox. LAFC perfect through two games, having scored seven goals, including a 4-0 win Sunday over New England. They've got a busy schedule right now with CONCACAF Champions League play. They face Costa Rican side Alajuelense uh, on Wednesday, although LAFC already in control of that matchup after winning 3-0 in Costa Rica last Thursday. They also managed that 4 nothing win over New England without Carlos Vela and Giorgio Chiellini in the starting 11. Both of them saw action off the bench. This will be Chiellini's first visit to Seattle, I wow, think. Wow, okay. I don't remember one last season. And who's really who's going to take the time to look that up and fact check to me? O.L. Reign opened their Portland preseason tournament with a 3-0 win over the U.S. Women's National Team U23 squad on Sunday, getting a pair of goals from Bethany Balser in the first half. Uh, we saw a heavy percentage of the first-choice 11 on the field in this one for the first time in preseason play. Rain will next face Racing Louisville on Wednesday before wrapping up the tournament Saturday against the host Portland Thorns. This is the kind of good stuff you can expect at Peltoncast Live. <laughs> Uh, UW Women's Basketball. We should just do it as a bit. One segment of you just reading updates. I feel like it's it's too mean-spirited to the rundown. <laughs> UW Women's Basketball is headed to the NIT. They were indeed automatically eligible as the highest-placed Pac-12 team not chosen for the NCAA tournament and will host San Francisco on Thursday in their first, first postseason game since 2017. Uh, USF finished tied for fourth in the WCC at 9-9 in conference play, 19-12 overall, the best record for former Stanford star Molly Goodenbauer in seven seasons at the helm. USF went 0-2 against major conference opponents, both from the Pac-12, but gave Washington State a good game at home, losing 79-73 to the eventual Pac-12 tournament champions back in November. So, as I mentioned here, the NCAA regionals, which are now supersized, they've got two regionals. Two of the four Final Four teams will be chosen. Will be a will will come from Seattle. I don't really year. understand this. So, so instead of having like four different regionals, they okay. decided to put two at each at two different sites in Seattle and where the other one is in Columbia, South Carolina. Oh. So you'll never guess who's playing there. Who's playing there? South Carolina. <laughs> yeah, South. Are they good? Yes, they're undefeated in the defending national championship. You said that like uh, this is obvious. Maybe everybody knows that. Okay, every single person out there was just like, "Oh, South Carolina's playing there." Obviously, sorry, sorry, it's not on the rundown. I don't know what's going on. (laughs) Did UW women's basketball play against South Carolina this year? No. All I know is what's on the paper. (laughs) You've never viewed Sports Center. Uh, so the listener, Mike Bade, asked which side of the bracket to choose because they're going to play like different days, basically. One side to, of the bracket. To choose for like tickets? Yeah. Okay. Plays Thursday and Saturday. The other plays Friday and Sunday. I don't think we know yet which is which in terms of those days of the wow, week. Wow, you're going to be at a lot of women's college basketball. I am. That is true. So the creatively named Seattle 3 region features Virginia Tech, UConn, Ohio State, and old friend Kevin McGuff, and Tennessee is the top four seeds that you would who are hosting the sub-regionals you would expect to advance, although obviously there are some upsets. Seattle 4 has Stanford, Iowa, Duke, and Texas as the top four. So certainly a lot of women's basketball history, barring some upsets, is going to be in Seattle next weekend. Especially the Seattle 4. I guess you got UConn, too, and the Seattle 3. So, so these are the names. I didn't understand what you were talking about on Twitter. 
Yeah. Between the Seattle three and the Seattle four, it's really confusing. It's very confusing. Like they need to come up with some sort of names for this. I don't know what the correct answer is, but like name it after some legend of women's basketball or something, right? Like the Seattle, like the Lobo bracket, uh-huh. and the, you know, the swoops bracket, something like that. Okay. The, the, the Cheryl Miller bracket. Don't you think it should be legends of basketball from Seattle? That's not a bad idea either. I like that. From the region. Although so they want it, it to be something like long term. Right. That's right. that was my thought is to have it something you could use year after year. So permanently it would be like the swoops, the bird, the lobo. What about the uh 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 the but like Pat Summit, people like that. Pat Summit would be an excellent choice, certainly. Okay, something. Anything's better than Seattle 3. That's what I'm saying. I, that's what was the joke. Legended leaders would be better than this. <laughs> or just like even naming it East and West. Like just giving it names. Something. Because 3 and 4 means absolutely nothing. That's just just completely meaningless. It took me a long time to understand what y'all were talking well, that's about. Why, that's why we're doing this. That's really made the whole rundown worth it. We're doing the thing. So... I would say if Stanford Iowa is the matchup, that's probably better than frankly anything involving Virginia Tech, which is the number one seed and you know has merited it with the I think they've won like twelve in a row, won the ACC tournament, but obviously doesn't have the same kind of history or WNBA prospects that some of these other teams have. Who are the WNBA prospects in these games? Anybody that we would know? I mean, I watch SportsCenter all the time, so I see all sorts of uh, WNBA prospects. So it's not necessarily a ton of players in this year's draft, especially because uh, one of Tennessee's players who was expected to be a top five pick in the draft announced that she's going to be back for next season, has already announced that she's not entering the draft. Uh, But, you know, we do have Haley Jones from Stanford is probably a top three pick this year. And then down the road, uh, AZ Fudd from UConn, who just returned to the lineup after missing an extended period of time from injuries. I mean, obviously UConn has multiple players, but you know she's their biggest prospect. Uh, Ohio State has a couple of players who will likely be drafted this year. And then Iowa has Caitlin Clark, who's going to be in the mix for the number one pick next year, uh, You know, along with potentially Paige Beckers if, if she's in that draft. Uh, so, you know, a variety of star players. But I would say if it's, if it's UConn in Tennessee... Just given the history there and everything, I think that would be my number one choice if Tennessee manages to get all the way to the regional final, which is so how they would is face Seattle UConn. this Seattle 4 is what you're recommending. Or no, That's Seattle, Seattle 3. 3. Okay. But if Tennessee does not make it to the regional how final. How can you predict this? How can I? You have to, make, you have to decide right now. I have to right the call now. right now? Yeah. Isn't that the point? Is that you buy tickets to one of Seattle 3 or Seattle 4? Then I would you go Seattle 4. You don't get to wait I, until after the matchups are decided. I don't think it's... Like too many things can go wrong that Tennessee and UConn wouldn't play each other in the final, and like there's there's more depth I think in Seattle for and Stanford and Iowa both play really fun styles, and that would be a great matchup. It's funny, like I I was like amazed that I got to see UConn play Iowa earlier this year in Portland at the Phil Knight tournaments, and I was like, when am I going to get the chance to see UConn in the Pacific Northwest? And lo and behold, wow, that they end up here. Uh, because the fact I, I had kind of assumed that they would end up on the East Coast region, I can't. They you, t- typically when there are the four brackets, there was always a regional somewhere in the Connecticut area that they would end up in every. Why year. did they move? Just a financial thing? Like it's cheaper to just have. They said one they kind of liked the idea of you know the atmosphere of having eight teams in town. That that element of it. Uh, yeah, so it's kind of an experiment. We'll see how it works. I think it's probably a bad idea. Mm. 
Because, <laughs> I mean, like, it's just eight teams who, I mean, how many of these, I aside think the, from Stanford, are anywhere near Seattle, Washington? They also set these as, like, well, that's, the, that's much the two furthest places in the country from each other. Like, yes. most of the country is weirdly not on the coasts. <laughs> and most of women's college I basketball agree. is, like, much more centrally. Like, if there would have been a fucking region in Chicago or something, like, it's relatively close to quite a few of these teams. But... I mean, and look, most of the teams in any given year at the regional are not going to be from anywhere close to that regional. I forget who it was last year in Spokane, but, you know, Stanford was there and was, again, the the kind of local team. But the other three teams, it was uh, Texas was there as well, I think, weren't they? Yeah, Texas was there and uh, Maryland was there. So, like, you know. Are there any teams from Washington or Oregon? How, how many states do you have to go to get to a team who's going to be playing in Seattle. Oh, it'd be very unlikely for any team. Yeah. Because you, so, you're only going to get the like the top four teams in each region. So, like, aren't Gonzaga, there teams that they're playing? Hmm? Or they, they move... This is for the second round. This is for the second weekend. Okay. So where's the, the first weekend having? Still multiple sites? The first weekend is still on campus sites. Okay. So this is just, again, for the, for oh, the so region. Oh, so you might not have to buy the tickets now. Yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you might want to, I depending on how much flexibility you have, you might want to choose before like Friday night, which is, you know, when again, if I don't know when Seattle three and Seattle four are playing, <laughs> which day is Thursday uh, between? Oh, it's Friday Sunday. It definitely it's... sounds like a terrorist group. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't it? Seattle the Seattle three. <laughs> It's Friday, Sunday, and Saturday, Monday. Let me correct myself from earlier. Those are the dates for these games. So by the Saturday night, you will know who's going to be playing in the regional finals. I feel like we've talked enough about this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get to UW men's basketball. That was the longest breakdown. And find a podcast that has a longer breakdown of the Seattle 3 or the Seattle 4. I dare you. Certainly That's why Pelncast Live sold out. Certainly not any other Seattle sports podcast. Uh, UW men's basketball, which wrapped up its season with a 74-68 loss on Wednesday to Colorado in the Pac-12 tournament. Despite trailing by 14 in the first half, the Huskies managed to tie the game at 66 on a Cole Bajama 3 with 126 left before Colorado scored the next seven points to pull away. It's like, I feel like every week it's like, despite something. <laughs> well, because they always start terribly. <laughs> And then sometimes they end up winning even, but most of the time they don't. (laughs) I mean, over the course of the season, it was dead 50-50. They went 16 and 16 (laughs) Uh, on Sunday, though. That's not the big news, obviously. But but even before then, like before we got to this news on Sunday, literally this Husky basketball season started to little fanfare. This Husky basketball season happened, the whole thing, to also little fanfare. And then this Husky basketball season ended. And pretty much nothing happened in that time period in there. There was never really an exciting moment. There was never really any time to pay attention to them. There was one game, a single game, that was exciting in the entire Husky basketball season. It's just like Husky basketball doesn't exist. They are not on the map. If Husky basketball plays games in the forest, does it make a sound? Is that untrue, though? No, no, it's not untrue. Like, this is a city that does not have a professional basketball team at the moment. There is a void. It is also a pretty ravenous city for basketball. And UW men's basketball, literally, I should say a men's professional basketball team. Yes. But but they don't have a team playing in the winter time. <laughs> it's just, like, hilarious how deeply uninteresting this season was and the team was. Yeah. 
It's all true. And now it's over. And it's just like, and then it ended. That's it. And then we got a few days of waiting to see what would happen with Mike Hopkins heading into the final two years of his contract. And it seemed pretty clear after he wasn't fired in the first day or two after this that he was going to come back. But that announcement came on Sunday from AD Jen Cohen, who said in a statement, the recently concluded men's basketball season fell below the expectations that we have for all of our athletic programs at the University of Washington. I am disappointed. Coach Hopkins and his staff are disappointed. And importantly, our passionate fans and supporters are disappointed. (laughs) Fan. (laughs) The listener. After completing a postseason review of the program and after several in-depth discussions with Coach Hopkins, I am hopeful that next season we'll once again see the Huskies competing for a Pac-12 championship and back in the NCAA (laughs) tournament. Coach Hopkins understands our expectations and is committed to make any and all necessary changes to get us there. We will continue to fully support our men's basketball program and the incredible young men who proudly wear the Husky uniform. We are all deeply hopeful. (laughs) So hopeful. (laughs) So it remains to be seen what kind of changes we might see, whether there will be any to the coaching staff. Obviously, we already saw that kind of overhaul a couple of years ago when Viking Jones and Quincy Pondexter came in. Uh, there's nothing, there's not like an obvious like, oh, this is, you know, the person who's going to be scapegoated for this. Like in that, it's not kind of that kind of scenario. Or like a, Of the assistant coaches you're saying? Yeah. Or like the, an people assistant coach like who, the assistant coaches more than they like the head coach. <laughs> like if they, if they decide to scapegoat Will Conroy, I mean, that I, ain't working. I don't I'll think Will Conroy's in jeopardy. Yeah. Will Conroy and Quincy Pondexter, it's just like people like them and probably why King Jones like them a lot more than they like Mike Hopkins. So they have, a lot, would, more, they have a lot more ties to the West Coast. Love to see them try to scapegoat those dudes. Uh, Hop said that uh, he told Percy Allen of the Seattle Times that his priority is to maintain roster continuity with only one player, Jamal Bay, actually out of eligibility. Uh, there have been some positive developments on that front already. Braxton Mia tweeted last week, can't wait to run it back with my brothers next year. You'd have men's basketball next season. We are coming for it all. <laughs> Bajama told Percy Allen... Was there an asterisk when he said coming for it all or anything? (laughs) No. no. (laughs) Bajama told Allen after the Pac-12 tournament that he'll return for his fifth season of eligibility despite being honored at senior day. Will Hopkins also indicated that Frank Kepnong plans to be back, uh, coming back from the ACL tear that ended his season. So that leaves leading scorer Keon Brooks Jr. is the biggest priority to re-recruit after he also went through senior day festivities. Brooks has a fifth year of eligibility, but could turn pro or look to use it elsewhere. And turn pro, do you think he's a he's not an NBA draft prospect? Not a serious draft prospect. It would be at like looking point. at a two way or something. That would be a, a good scenario for him. I think G League or, or overseas would be more likely. But you know, he's gone through four years of college. It would be completely understandable. It's just if it's he time to for on. Keon Brooks to probably move on. Not not that he's not a good player, but like at some point you kind of just have to go pro. You, you don't have to. I mean, that's that's one of the things about the NIL era. Uh-huh. So you don't have to. But uh, That's what Drew, Tr- Drew Timmy has proved to us. Drew Timmy L- isn't actually, like, again, Keon Brooks Jr. has played at college as 35. long as Drew Timmy. <laughs> it's a true story. Look it up. Huskies obviously hope to retain and build around their freshman guards, Corin Johnson and Keon Menefield Jr., who both exceeded expectations this season, played much larger roles, especially with, uh, you know, Noah Williams dealing with that knee injury that pretty much you know limited him all year even though he was in the lineup for conference play and then pj fuller missed an extended period of time late in the season due to illness uh you you would probably be a bit more surprised if either of them were back i would say given given the way that that went i really just 
I get it. I understand, I suppose, this decision. I think the thing that is most frustrating is not to come back to this because it's been how many years now? Six years or whatever? Like Since the, since Mike Hoffman yes, has been here? Since Lorenzo Romar was let go. That Mike Hopkins is being given the grace of an extra season, right? After it kind of felt like it was over, he's being given the grace of a season when most of these players could hypothetically come back. And look, maybe they'll be better. They'll be probably be better next year if that happens. It would be almost impossible to not be better next year. And I think the front Kepnong injury, it mattered. You know, it definitely mattered. It, maybe it cost them a game or two or whatever. And having Kepnong and Braxton Mia together as you know, fifth year seniors or whatever, like me is only going to be going into his fourth year or as, as seniors though, having those two players, like that'll be a pretty solid inside presence for the Huskies, but he's being given an amount of grace that Lorenzo Romar was not given. And especially with what he's contributed to the program, Mike Hopkins, ultimately his contributions to the program are basically nothing, right? One sweet 16 appearance. No, no they, didn't, they didn't make the sweet 16. Did they win a game? They did win a game. Okay. Utah State in the first draft. One NCAA tournament victory. Whereas Lorenzo Romar is the most important coach in Husky basketball history in the last 50 years or whatever. And he wasn't able to, with the class that he had coming. Let's say did, at least the last 40 years to try to get Griggs. us mostly clear to the Marv Harshman era. Marv Harshman? Yeah. Okay. But the, like, the, the class that he had coming, he never got to play with that class. He didn't get to have that extra season. And I honestly don't think this, it really doesn't make sense if we're going to look at this and say, if the Huskies are not in the NCAA tournament next year, is Mike Hopkins going to be fired then? Or is yes. with all of these fifth year players getting close, if it's an NIT appearance enough? And ultimately, if that's what we're building towards, that after five years of eligibility for a lot of these players, you're making the NIT or you're afraid, like, what are the chances in this very moment, not knowing exactly what the roster looks like, what would you say the chances of the Huskies making the NCAA tournament next year? 15%? It's still extraordinarily low. I mean, right? the thing is, like, I think I think how a lot of people look at it is, like, look, they were 8-12 and 12 in conference play. You know, they had the Kepnong injury. You turn a few more of those wins, as we talked about last week, into those losses into wins, then, boom, they're right there on the bubble. But if you look at it as... They were the 106th best team in the country, and they were the 110th best team the year before that, and they were the 129th best team the year before That's that. That's progress, baby. That is progress. <laughs> That's a long fucking ways from Three. being in the top 45 or 50 that you need to be in to be in the bubble. It's Yeah, it's getting twice as good next year. It's not about getting slightly better. It's about getting twice as good. So... I mean, I don't know about twice as good, but... Well, at least Ken Palm-wise, it's, it's being having where you were at this year. And even then, you're just on the bubble. Right. That you're not necessarily... I mean, in some ways, if they make the NCAA tournament next year, it's kind of the worst thing that could happen if they sneak in because then you feel kind of compelled to extend hot because of the fact that you've kept him up to this point. Like, that's to me the biggest danger in this decision. Is that... So then why? Like, why is this happening now? And and the only, re the only way I can answer that question is... The, there obviously are financial reasons, although I do not buy them. I do not believe that the money actually matters at all. And, but I do think the thing is when you the, let a the coach point go, that Christian Capel made in on on Montlake today, which we I don't think we mentioned it on the pod, but I, I retweeted it from the from at Peldencast. But you subscribed to it, of course. Hell yeah, there we go. I mean, already turning out awesome content, including an interview, in depth interview last week with Chris Peterson. 
So uh, definitely cannot recommend it enough. The point he made is like the, the revenue in men's basketball, even in the best case, is so low that it like almost doesn't make sense. Whereas in football, the difference between UW having a down season and UW having a good season is big enough to justify, you know, three years of Jimmy Likes contract. In basketball, that difference just isn't very big. Because the difference not, between being good and bad financially is much bigger in football. Okay, so it drives so much. When more we talk about the money being endless, we're money all, is I mean, endless in football. Literally, the money is endless everywhere. But like, the money is especially endless in football. It's it's a lot easier to to come up with in football. To me, the so when Romar was fired, he was going into the last year of his deal, and I think he had the misfortune of why don't you just have him. Mike Hopkins, Play out the last year of his deal then. Mike Hopkins had that, like, his horrendous season, uh, which was 2020. This uh, wasn't his horrendous no. season? <laughs> oh, no, no. This was definitely not. It was 20, 2021 coming out during the pandemic when they went 4-16 and 16 in conference play. Uh -huh. Like, that was with four years left on his contract. Like, if that year had been this year, he would have been fired. But, like, they were probably just good enough this year did not justify that financial hit. It makes sense. But I, I also think they probably looked around, I and mean, we talked about this about hypothetical other coaches. They probably wouldn't have been in the mix for Todd Golden last year, ultimately. Not if he went to Florida, probably not. But they're looking around the landscape, and they can see the same thing that we can see, is that there's no obvious choice. There's nothing that like really gets me excited. And when you fire a coach, you have to ultimately hire another coach. That is how it works, yes. And it's always going to be, this is kind of the crazy thing to me, is like where the coaches get the leverage. Because everybody wants to be a head, and same in the NFL, right? Everybody wants to be a head coach in college basketball. Like, if you were just like, fuck it, we're doing one-year deals for people. But it's all, why does it have to be more? Where do the coaches get that leverage from? Well, number one, the they idea don't that have it. players won't listen to the coach if they're in the last year of their contract is the biggest factor. So a two-year deal? But like, no, number two, the reason Hopkins the has this deal— always have to be that long? The reason Hopkins has this deal is because of the fact that they were scared after they made that one NCAA he got tournament extended. run I understand that, that he was going to get poached by some other college. Deal was how many years? When was the last time? It was it, probably four or five, but it was also less money. Like The college has the leverage. If they want to be like, Will Conroy, here's one year, go figure it out. I mean, I don't think that's a good strategy. Under any circumstance, I, but I agree that like it doesn't make sense to be like every single time you hire a head coach, it has to be four or five years. I mean, part it's of the a long time to commit to somebody who, like you, again, this school has the leverage. I don't think you should be changing coaches that frequently. I'm not saying you should be changing coaches that frequently, but you should be able to reassess your situation that frequently. But the point is, if Mike Hopkins were on his original deal, how long? When Mike, if Mike Hopkins were on his original deal. He would have been fired in 2021 because he would have had like a year left at that point. It was probably like a five-year deal originally. It was the extension that, that well, that's, really screwed that's things up. Well, that's the other thing that we, we talked about that around, around Kalen DeBoer and also Ryan Grubb, who easily could have left. But like they extended these coaches, and when you look at a long enough period of time, the most likely outcome for every single head coach, this is probably true of basketball also, right, is that they're fired. Well, I mean, over a long enough timeline. The question is whether they're go you're going to fire them on that next ex on that extension. But I mean, this they got in a similar position with Bob Bender when they made a couple of, a brief foray into the tournament in the late '90s, 
and then they were worried about him getting poached by Vanderbilt and extended him. Maybe and you have to him. not be scared about coaches getting poached. I agree because also it's not that bad of a thing because your job is probably pretty attractive at that point. I mean, obviously, if your coach is getting poached, yeah. You have the Mike Neighbors situation where the coach leaves at the exact point that your number one draft pick leaves, yeah, and you get set back for you know half decade. But the time, the only time in basketball or football that it's happened in the last two decades is this right in I, men's I, basketball or in men's basketball and football in since the year two thousand. The only time a coach has been poached by any other school, we ended up with the best coach in Washington Husky football history. That is correct. I, mean, I don't know if I'm going to say that part of it. <laughs> but after Don James, probably the second best coach in University of Washington sports history. So, like, uh-huh. Yeah. It, it was nothing but a great outcome, Steve Sarkeesian getting poached. Yeah. And it opened up the opportunity of a good roster for Chris Peterson to come in. Yep. So I, I just, the idea that Bob Bender is going to get poached by Villanova. People, <laughs> people or sorry, by, by Va- oh, Vanderbilt, not Villanova. Not Villanova. Okay, maybe he would have been by Vanderbilt. He's not really a is Villanova it, type. Is it that a desirable of a job, the Vandy job? No, that's also part of the story. <laughs> just like, this small private school is going to poach Bob, but fine. I mean, I don't know the, the fact that it's private. The it SEC didn't even matter back then. We were a little bummed for Jerry Stackhouse that the Vanderbilt didn't make the NCAA tournament. For Jerry Stackhouse? Yeah, he's their coach. Oh, is he? Yeah. Oh, good for him. Well, the, bad for the, him, sorry. The best-dressed coach in college basketball, Jerry Stackhouse. Is he really? Oh, Natalie attired to the nines. Oh, I love it. There's a famous NBA story about him like uh, taking off his... I don't know if he took off the suit or he just didn't put it on post-game, putting on sweats, and then going to fight someone in the loading dock and then coming back and putting on his suit as an NBA player. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That is a coach. <laughs> I feel like that was such a word jumble when you were talking about Jerry Stackhouse and Vanderbilt. <laughs> a lot of stuff was going on. Mm-hmm. Sad form. Anyway, fuck it. Another year of hop. Can't wait to not care about Husky basketball again for another year. More two, three zone on tap. Uh, UW softball opened conference play at last weekend, hosting Oregon and dropped the opener. Six to eight, but rallied to win the last two games of the series, thirteen to eight and nine to seven, uh, against a ranked foe. So a, a decent start to a conference play for the Huskies this week. They host UNLV in a one-off Tuesday afternoon, and then will travel to LA to face UCLA this weekend. Uh, as usual, UCLA, a power in softball. Uh, as I fill here to go look up the rankings from last week. I don't think those are updated yet for this week, but uh, UCLA at that point was number two in the country, having started 22-1. and one. All right, let's get to the Seahawks and the start of NFL free agency. Uh, should we start with the free agent news? Absolutely we should. Because the Seahawks <laughs> were active in day one of free agency. It sure didn't seem like it all day long as we watched all these other contracts come in. But uh, after a report from Mike Garofolo on Monday that they plan to release Shelby Harris if they can't find a trade for him, the Seahawks quickly replaced him with a former teammate from the Broncos, Whoa. Draymond Jones. Per Ian Rappaport, this contract is for $51.5 million over three years, with $23.5 million doing year one and presumably guaranteed, and $35 million over two years. A bigger contract than the Seahawks typically hand out in free agency, even adjusting for uh, inflation in the cap. 
I think these numbers are about to get bigger. Like the the numbers in the contracts, the sticker shock that we have with contracts, especially for non-quarterbacks, like we're going to have to get over it. I mean, it's always going to happen just because the contracts, the cap is progressively going up exactly. each year. That's what so I'm you saying. You get used it, to a certain level and then it increases. But you look relative to the other defensive line market. There were a lot of big contracts for interior defensive linemen on on Monday. And his came in, I think, fourth, third or fourth in that group. Okay. I mean, I'm no, telling fourth. you right now. Well, So first off, tell us about Draymond Jones. So a third-round pick out of Ohio State in 2019, Jones played about 60% of the Broncos' snaps in 2020 and 2021 before emerging as a three-down player last season, playing 81% of the team's defensive snaps in the 13 games he was active before going on IR with a hip injury. Jones was AFC Defensive Player of the Week in Week 8 when he had three tackles for a loss, including a sack and a win over Jacksonville. He's recorded at least five and a half sacks each of the last three seasons, six and a half last year, totaling 18.5 in that span and right in his prime at age 26. And have you watched any of the footage, the highlights of Draymond Jones, which I will say, having YouTube as... as uh, uh, resource now the amount of videos that were up within an hour oh, yeah. of people reacting and with the clips of Draymond Jones was wild but so freakishly athletic seeing him it was like okay this is a different type of player we're talking about here I mean he's not exactly the same type of player as Michael Bennett who's a 4-3 defensive end who could occasionally shift into defensive tackle in pass rush situations he's more of a 3-4 defensive end who also similarly can shift inside in pass rush situations but some of those plays you see the kind of same ability to jump you know the snap read the play correctly kind of guess correctly and make a play in the backfield and he, he was playing as like the on the three tech position right and seeing him there like getting to the quarterback. Sounds like played more five technique last year. A lot of the highlights I saw were in the three tech, but he he was at both, and I think it's good that he's able to do both also. But like the again the combination of speed and athleticism and physicality, it was one of those things where it's like, where did this dude come from? Right. <laughs> I watched a lot of Broncos games and certainly saw him make a lot of these plays, and it was just like I clearly wasn't paying any. He was attention. an NPC at that point. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I'm just like, holy shit, Draymond Jones. Like, seeing him, dropping him into that Seahawks pass rush, it is something unlike anything they have on the team right now. And I, I could not be more excited about this signing, getting that interior pass rush. And I think you talk about the age, understanding, look, this is why the deal is big. Right. He, he is clearly 26 in his prime. And I think he is, a lot of people on YouTube are talking about this, as one of the NFL's best-kept secrets Right, he is somebody who's about to—he's about to become a much bigger name in the NFL, and I think in the Seahawks defense. I don't know if he is about to become a much bigger name because he's still an interior defensive line. He's going to get sacks, though. I mean, he's he's not not going to get double-digit sacks. I—I would not rule it out. I would not rule out double-digit sacks. I guess we'll see who else is on the defensive line alongside him, and you know, you know how many one-on-ones he's facing and that sort of thing. Uh, my ESPN colleague Matt Bowen had him ranked 10th among free agents, noting Jones' 16% pass rush, pass rush win rate when lined up inside, which ranked 6th among all defenders. Uh, by contrast, third Pelton brother Shil Kapadia had him lower in his rankings on the ringer at 30th overall. Surprisingly middling PFF grade for Jones at 51.8. They still ranked him fourth among interior defensive linemen in their free agent rankings by position. With the note that since he entered the league in 2019, Jones, 138 quarterback pressures tied for the 19th most among interior defenders. 
uh, with their version of pass rush one way, ranking him 11th best over that span at 14.5%. And I think that's what you look at is that those pass rush win rates that he had throughout his career. And that's what gets you excited, right? He he's, Right at the second level, after the really, really elite players of the position, he is right there. Which we saw at two of those contracts on Monday. And they were bigger than this. <laughs> they were much bigger than this, yes. So knowing, knowing what he could be, I, I understand it is a big number. It's a position that is becoming more valued, the interior pass rush. has definitely been more valued this year than it has been in the past. And seeing that I think this is a pretty fair contract that the Seahawks gave out. So Delvin Tomlinson got probably a slightly bigger deal, four years, $57 million. Uh, he would be the one that kind of swings third or fourth on this list. But uh, before that, we saw the Washington Commanders re-signing Deron Payne uh, to a really enormous deal. Uh, let me see. They, they made multiple signings today, huh? we got to go scroll down further on here to get this. His was four years, $90 million. And then we saw the 49ers, despite some of their cap question marks this year. I mean, it did cost them Mike McGlinchey, but uh, uh, also striking a big deal at the defensive tackle, uh, adding uh, Javon Hargrave, four years, $84 million from the Eagles. So I think you look at those numbers, and the Seahawks being where they are, understanding that this is a player who... Is maybe he hasn't had that that level of productivity yet, but knowing that he's 26 years old, he's about to start playing more. He played more last year than he ever played in his career beforehand, and I don't think that's necessarily because of he was ready for for more downs, and he will be ready when he gets to the Seahawks. I mean, you might not want to play 80 percent of downs. You might want to keep him more fresh than that. I think ideally you'd want to have a stronger rotation. Or yes, you have him as part of a rotation, and then continue that pass rush win rate, maybe even increase on it. Again, I think this was a, it was an exciting signing for the Seahawks. It was more exciting than almost anything else. And the reality is, like you look at comp picks and those matter and making a signing. I thought the Seahawks were just going to play the comp pick game. There is no comp pick game. This is the reason that this is the year to make a signing like this. Why is that? They have no one who's going to yield any comp picks. You think this so, one-year deal for Cody Barton with the Commanders is going to be comp pick worthy? So they would have no chance of comp picks anyway. I don't think so. Unless so then somebody fuck it. Gets a really, I mean, they're important free agents. It, Puna Ford, I guess, could have yielded one. That's that's the one that maybe could have yielded like a, a fifth rounder or something. And whatever. Sure. Yeah. So I thought they were going to sit it out, though. I thought, I thought they, so, too. I thought they were going to sit out free agency. And seeing them make a play that unquestionably the Seahawks defense is better today than it was yesterday. Yeah. I mean, you know, the question is always is at what price? I mean, that's the issue with being early in free agency. But it, it seems reasonable if you're going to go this direction. It was interesting. The Broncos essentially swapped him out for Zach Allen uh, from the Cardinals, agreeing to a slightly smaller deal with him, $45.75 million over three years, according to Adam Schefter. And there's a, uh, a, a scheme familiarity there uh, with, why am I blanking on the name of Arizona's defensive coordinator who went to Denver, was formerly the Broncos, had Vance for Joseph going to a... Broncos. He's also only 25. Allen's probably a pretty good sign. Yeah, they were both drafted in the third round in 2019. It's <laughs> kind of interesting. <laughs> Allen went higher in the draft, but Jones has been slightly more productive in the NFL. I Again, pass rush was the thing that the Seahawks needed to improve upon. And I think you look at this team right now, understanding what's to come. 
and they're they have a better pass rush now than they did beforehand. They're going to get some of that interior pressure, which they did not get a lot of last year, almost any of last year. You pair that with some of their outside rushers, the edge rushers that they have, and possibly more. Yeah, I mean, look, this is I don't think this deal precludes them drafting a defensive lineman in the first round. Do you think this changes? That was my question for you. Do you think this changes if going into today, this morning, which understanding that the draft process is a long process, and we are still many weeks away from the actual draft happening. We're like six, five, six weeks away from the draft happening. I would have told you the chances of them drafting Jalen Carter are like 80%. It's either a tra- I don't it, I don't think their chances of drafting any one player are that high. I would have told you the chances of a trade down or Jalen Carter were like 80% going in this morning. Now do you think that number that number is different? It's maybe a tiny bit lower, I suppose. I don't I mean, know. It definitely increases the trade down. Like Jalen Carter kind of does something very similar to what Draymond Jones does. I mean, you're still going to probably play two interior defensive linemen in pass rush situations. It could be those two. I mean, Quentin Jefferson is also in the mix. Is there. it worth the number five pick in the draft, though? Again, I don't think that changes it. Is it? You don't I think, think that? I think that anything? question is answered whether you think Jalen Carter is good enough to do that, not based on who you have on the roster. The the other piece that I think is interesting about it, so Jalen Carter being more of an interior pass rusher versus Will Anderson being a more traditional edge rusher was, and the money is still different, right? Edge rushers are still paid more. Yes. But the money for those interior pass rushers clearly is going up. And I think thusly, it means that drafting them, they're going to become slightly more valuable in the draft. Again, whether it's worth the fifth pick in the draft, I don't know. They should become slightly more valuable in the draft. Teams don't always follow that, that rule of thumb. But you understand what I'm saying. Yes. If they're making more money, if players like Draymond Jones could be drafted in the third round and go out and get this deal four right. years later or whatever. Oregon, Zach Allen, exact same situation. Like, it means that those are valuable players to go get. So I do think it is something that teams are going to start valuing a little bit more in the draft than they have in the past. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. Uh Let's see some other Seahawks news. We'll start with more on Geno Smith's contract than we knew even when we recorded this time last week after the emergency pod. Pro Football Focus's Brad Spielberger reported that the extra 30 was the first report that the extra 30 million in Smith's contract is actually escalators to roster bonuses in both 2024 and 2025 rather than incentives per se. Those escalators will add $2 million each in those seasons if Geno reaches his 2022 performance benchmarks in yards, touchdowns, completion percentage, passer rating, and playing at least 80% of snaps while the Seahawks either win 10 games or reach the playoffs. If he manages to hit all five, that would add $5 million more for a max value of $15 million each year. So it's not like each of them he gets a bonus of $2 million. No, it is that each of those he gets a bonus of $2 million. And if he hits all five of them, it's like a parlay on but, top but of it. But does he... But does he get the bonus? Are they escalators on the next year's contract? And if they release it's, him... So it's a roster bonus. And yes, if they release him, he does not see that roster bonus. Which, granted, if he hits almost any of these... <laughs> exactly, yes. You're not going to waive him in that scenario. I just cannot but believe it, this contract that Geno's was signed. Like, it's almost But like, there are scenarios where, like, he... I, I don't know, maybe he plays 80% of snaps while the Seahawks reach the playoffs, but doesn't reach any of these others. And then he might not see that $2 million at all. 
Maybe. <laughs> I do think if he's playing 80% of snaps and the Seahawks win 10 games or reach the playoffs, he's probably going to be back on the roster. Probably, but it could be a Peyton Manning 2014 situation or 15 or whatever year that I would year be was. pretty surprised by that. It, Again, it, it is like... Draymond Jones would have to be really good. <laughs> yeah, it's all about Draymond Jones. <laughs> well, let's do, let's do the other note on his contract, which is that Mike Garofolo clarified his previous report which has been subsequently confirmed by people seeing the actual contract, that the $12 million 2024 base salary for Geno Smith on this contract is only guaranteed for injury as of the signing. I think that also becomes guaranteed early in the 2024 league year, year. meaning at this point, the only guaranteed money in the contract is the $26.1 million signing bonus and his $1.2 million 2023 base salary. So that's total less than even the transition tag. That's wild. Let alone the exclusive franchise tag. So it seems pretty clear the Seahawks were not considering using the franchise tag at the very least. It's kind of shocking. And how does this? Have you looked at the Jimmy the Jimmy Garoppolo contract? So Jimmy G has, I think, more guaranteed money, but a lot less upside. Basically, there's there's not really the anything that escalates the contract if Garoppolo plays well. I just don't. I mean, that's awesome having those escalators, but like, these are not easy numbers to reach either. Right. I mean, he most notably was entirely healthy last season and, you know, knock on wood, uh, he was like the only quarterback to take every snap, right? There was maybe one other that was on that list. Obviously you can, you know, miss a snap here or two when you get pulled at the end of the blowout and that's not going to affect your stats, but, uh, even that factor alone would seem to make it somewhat unlikely he reaches these. Those escalators are all part of additional incentives for the Seahawks. If that makes sense. Like, if he achieves those goals, they would be happy to pay him those amounts. Right? Yeah. This was, I mean, Pete Carroll described it as a betting on himself contract. And it's kind of shockingly so to me from the numbers that we initially saw. Obviously, it shows how the deals can be manipulated or whatever, but like, I I really think in the open market, Geno Smith's probably making more money. I mean, there's teams that have to be more confident. I think Jimmy G is a great quarterback, but given the injury history, I feel like there would have been teams who would have paid Geno Smith more money, and I think Geno must have really meant what he said in the press, which was he really wanted to he wanted to reward them. Yeah. Reward the Seahawks for being committed to him, which is kind of like if I'm ta- if I am Geno Smith's agent, maybe his manager on the side, I'm like, dog, they didn't really believe in you. Like what did they pay you last year? Just paying you. We got 5 million bucks last year. Less. Like, uh, again, 3.5 million in base, 3.5 million in, in incentives. Like it's not like the Seahawks gave you this deal last year. Yeah. They didn't really do anything. They signed him as a backup quarterback with backup quarterback money, right? They like they believed in him to the amount that the Dolphins believe in Mike White, maybe even less. You know, it's I we haven't seen the details on Mike White's contract. It's it's a little shocking and it's awesome, but also I think I think it does go to show Gino had a great time here. The team fucking loves him and he loved playing here. And it is enough money that it is life-changing, transformative money. And ultimately, the difference between these couple of million dollars probably doesn't make a huge difference in a person's life. Right. So, 
being happy with where you are, being comfortable with where you are is probably more important. And thinking you can be successful where you are. I mean, you go to some of these other situations, you're not going to have Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. You're not going to have two tackles who, you know, you, you can expect, I think, to be even better than they were as rookies. This was, I, again, my initial thought about it vis-a-vis a quarterback. I'm just going to say I was probably, we didn't know the details of the contract. I'm going to say I was wrong there, though, in how this deal looks. Because this was a we're going to draft a quarterback kind of deal a little bit. It was like, you can stay and we'll give you enough money to be a starting quarterback in this league, commensurate to other starting quarterbacks. But this is a middle-class starting quarterback offer that he signed. And there's upside, but there's also a, like, they can get out of this deal at pretty much any time they want. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the one downside of this structure is because of the fact that they went with the signing bonus is basically all his compensation this year. Like, if he does hit some of these benchmarks and get that roster bonus next year, you basically have to restructure his contract if you're going to keep him beyond this season because otherwise his his cap hit just gets massive immediately, basically. He'd still have to hit a lot of them. I mean, even if he doesn't, like, again, you've got the base salary goes up to 13 million mm-hmm. plus you've got the same you know signing bonus you know his portion is part of the hitting the cap next year so i think it would be what about 22 million even if he doesn't and i think there may be also no i guess there aren't any other roster bonuses but it'd be about 22 million without any of the incentives next year and then potentially it's even more than that in 2025 is that terrible for a starting quarterback though whether it's terrible for a starting quarterback or not, like it does create some problems if he goes from 10 to 22. Like that's a big jump. And again, it's not hitting any of the incentives. Yeah, but you don't, like other guys are going to get more money too. It's not like just Geno Smith is. Like obviously this contract for Draymond Jones is going to be somewhat backloaded cap-wise. They're going to spend money now to get to the cap and then other contracts are going to go up later plus Geno's is going to go up. Yeah. Okay. This is my, like, it doesn't really matter if you pay Geno Smith $32 million this year because you're just going to restructure another contract and put it in the future. It's not like, you know, you get to have all the money now and none of the money later. That's not an option. It's always a constant restructuring of contracts. Yes. It's a constant trade-off. Uh, some of the other contracts that were involved before the uh, report about Shelby Harris, last week the Seahawks waived guard Gabe Jackson and... Uh, as you mentioned earlier, linebacker Ben Verkirvin. Uh Jackson, the Jackson move saved them six and a half million and seemed inevitable after they extended Phil Haynes, who split time with Jackson at right guard last season. Verkirvin yet to return after the ACL's tear he suffered in the 2021 preseason. Wouldn't be shocked to see him back with the Seahawks when he's back on the field, but uh, not on not on this current contract. I'm looking at our percentage chances of returning for all the players who are already gone, which is most of them. <laughs> I mean, is it most of them are already No, it's not really most. Actually, we're about like half and half. I mean, Austin Blythe retired. Puna Ford is all but gone. Cody Barton. Yeah. But Geno Smith already back. Uh, Jason Meyer is already back. We will see what that leaves. uh, Like the list of free agents we're actually monitoring for the Seahawks is pretty short at this point. It's Ford, Drew Locke, and Rashad Penny are the most notable free agents remaining. So... I, I don't know that we'll see a lot more activity, but you would still expect them to sign some sort of veteran center so that that's not a position that they absolutely have to draft in free agency. Probably something 
at off-ball linebacker. I think those are the two places in particular you'd look at them addressing at some point. I mean, I think I, like everybody else, was excited by the reports that they, they at least had conversations with Bobby Wagner. Seems like, so far, the two teams that are chatting with Bobby Wagner, the Seahawks and the Cowboys, there'll be more in the mix. I don't really buy that there won't be. But I'm just looking at this defense with the way that Bobby Wagner played last year, which was great. Pro Bowl caliber play last year. You see the secondary who's young, developing. Jamal Adams is coming back. You see adding to the interior pass rush, plus all these draft picks. It's impossible to not get a little excited right now, looking at this roster. I mean, certainly the Seahawks are in a good spot. Let's, we'll see how things continue to evolve this offseason. There's almost nothing that could happen in the offseason that would make you less excited about the roster. Draft, draft Bajon Robinson. <laughs> Fifth pick in the draft, Bajon <laughs> Robinson. That's kind of it. Uh, they trade up. I don't know. I don't know, I don't know why, they, why they would be trading up in this scenario. Well, we'll see what they have to give up. You're saying if they traded up for Anthony Richardson? Five and 20 to go up one spot. Yeah, that'd be pretty annoying. But <laughs> Like, again, I'm not going to rule it out, but they're in a good spot, as we know. I, I just... All it took I mean, they was are a gonna couple have, of pieces. They're going to have to open up more cap space. So there's going to have to be some sort of restructure, I think, coming. Who do you think that's going to be? Why do I, Why do they have to? Because of the draft picks, they have to open up more cap space? Yeah, I mean, in terms of effective cap space, like the Geno contract basically canceled out the cap space you created with the waivers. So that basically leaves them needing to, using it all on pain in all likelihood. On pain, not on pain. On Jones. <laughs> that would be nice, too. <laughs> yeah, Draymond Jones. So, I if you're going to sign some additional players, which presumably you are, I think then you're going to, for more than the minimum, you'll have to open up a little more cap space. And and that's where I'm sure that the Seahawks ultimately would want Bobby Wagner back, but they just have to find that money. Right. I mean, and it depends on the price. Like, look, they they didn't want him back, and the price he was last season. So. We'll see how much different the price is this season and how much the feelings have been kind of repaired on his side. So that'll depend on a few things. I mean, we mentioned that there are a few contracts they could look to extend and, you know, kind of create some additional cap space in that process, although not, not necessarily that many. It'd mostly be Quandre Diggs or Tyler Lockett, probably. So Okay. Well, uh, the team is better today than they were yesterday, and I think that's the most important piece. I don't know. I mean, that's that's a dangerous thing to say at the first day of free agency. And it, I just go back to like how many of these free agents that everyone gets all excited about. Then, like the next year or two years later, it's like Shaquille Griffin is being waived to create more cap space. Yes, Robert Woods, who signed with the Titans a year ago, is getting waived to create more cap space. Like it, it is a much shorter term addition than people think. But if you're going to use it, use it on a player in his prime. Yeah, I agree. And it's not absurd money. He's 26. Right. I mean, again, people look at the like the average per year is so much more than they paid. If you look at it relative to the cap, the Cliff Averill contract that we all loved in 2013, in today's money, it would have been worth about $13 million a year. Really? Yeah, it was only two years. And it was so I don't know, and I don't know how much of that was guaranteed, but like the cap is almost twice as high now. Like, so it, it wasn't that far off from like Cliff Averill money. I mean, this is like 17 million a year, so it's still more, but again, it's not like as big as the difference between he actually got six and a half million. And Cliff Averill wasn't 26. 
Uh, I think he wasn't that much older than that. It was still bizarre that there was no market for him and Michael Bennett who signed for even less money. <laughs> yes. Like, really just at all time, what was the rest of the league thinking letting this team that was already the best team in the NFL get these two players at a position <laughs> of need? Uh, Avril was 27. Okay. Damn. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was a great pickup, man. Signing. I mean, uh, if we could go back in time to the 2013 offseason. <laughs> Sign Cliff Avril again. <laughs> Was the Harvin trade that offseason, too? Oh, yeah, it was. Mm, it sure was. Two for three. <laughs> Hopefully that doesn't happen again. It's a pretty good one in baseball. I don't, I, I, yeah, I don't know that they're trading a first-round pick for anyone this uh-huh. year. But the defense looks like they're going to be improved, knowing where the draft picks are. One other tweak here or there, and you've got to be saying to yourself, this looks like a playoff team at the very least. How about that? Yeah. Yeah, certainly. And they were a playoff team last I mean, year, and they the seem thing, like they've improved on the roster. The other thing we haven't have talked about draft is picks. the Rams are are not quite tearing it all down, but they're tearing a lot down. I mean, what haven't the Rams tore down? Aaron Donald, Cooper Cup, Matthew Stafford. Yeah. And still, I feel like there's a little bit of rumblings around Matthew Stafford. I, we'll see where he's at health-wise. You wouldn't be shocked if Matthew Stafford wasn't the quarterback of the Rams next year. I would not be shocked. I mean, that's kind of tearing it all down. The Rams are not competitors in the NFC West. There are two teams in the NFC West who have a chance of winning the division next year, and it's the Seahawks and the 49ers at this point. I mean, I would be hesitant to rule anyone out. It's the NFL. This time last year, the Seahawks traded Russell Wilson. (laughs) (laughs) We're going into a season with career backup Geno Smith and Drew Locke as their quarterbacks, and they finished second in the NFC West and made the playoffs. They still didn't win it. Still didn't win it. (laughs) Did not win it, but a lot of things are possible. Okay. I'll accept that. On that note, thanks for listening. Thanks.